Why Caddo Stud is such an integral part of the history of New Zealand racing. For so many years, it's been in the Chittick family, and now Mark Chittick has taken the reins. In this chat, we discuss the history of Waikato Stud, what the future looks like, and the prospects of a huge spring carnival with I Wish I Win. Mark, incredible setup here, but before we talk about it, um, take us back to the history of the place. Uh, originally a dairy farm. Yeah, it was a, yeah, a dairy farm and a piggery, actually. Yeah, and so the history the history goes that uh, Bunker Hunt, who who was one of the largest um, racehorse owners in, in the world, probably at the time, based out of Texas, um, he went searching the world, and and I've only just learnt recently that he spent three years trying to find what he thought was the ideal bit of land to breed horses and Charolais cattle outside of the um, outside of America, and uh, yeah, settled on this block here on. Tower Road in Matamata. Um, he was some sort of 10 years in ownership and set a lot of it up. And then it went into the public company sort of floating system for 10 or 12 years. Then Elders Australia ran it in, um, in receivership for, I think it was four or five years. And then we were further down the line and we purchased the place um, some 30 odd years ago. Yeah, so I think about 1993 it was, but it looks remarkably different now to what it was then. Yeah, and much was. bigger. Yeah, certainly. Yeah, certainly, Adam. Um, yeah, so we purchased 430 acres. Um, yeah, back then, 1993. Um, interestingly enough, or well, you, you, you know, we might talk about it, but one of the foals we we took the place over going concern. Two, they had three stallions and 50 odd mares. We had two stallions and 50 odd mares, and uh, it was a walk in, walk out um, sort of a deal. And uh, yeah, one of the foals um, happened to be O'Reilly. Um, but yeah, 430 acres that we originally purchased and now on this road here we're farming on 1,500 acres and another sort of 500 on the other side of Matamata. So just over time, your dad Gary um, and now we'll talk about the, you know, the transition, but he, he just kept picking up little parcels of land to grow. Yeah, and uh, yes, um, first of all, yeah, basically I suppose the four farms along beside us um, um, they've come into our ownership between those earlier days um, and then more recently and then yeah, in between those times um, 10 or 12 years ago a bit of land on the, on the other side of town there. And your dad's still very much a part of the place I've seen him floating around here um, but officially you're, you've taken over now. Yeah 100% yeah, look we, we worked and developed this place you know and ran this place in partnership, um, when I came up here, I think I was 23. And was it always something you wanted to do? Like you, you loved it? Yeah, pretty much so. I mean, going back to the the step before that, when we were still down in Palmerston North, I was in Ireland at the Irish National Stud. I'd already done some time at Whitton um, Stud in Australia, where where George, um, our son, is there now, and uh, he did the Irish National Stud as well. And about that same time, um, Gary went in for some surgery, on, basically on a spinal cord that was pretty major and was going to um, obviously restrict him for a, for a fair amount of time. So, so he made the call that I came back and, and stepped into things there then. And um, once he came right, he, he, we've spoken about it just recently as our generation's getting to that same stage. And he said, right, well, you can head off again if you want, you know. And I said, sort of must have made the comment, no, I'm learning as much as what I would anywhere else here now. And um, 
And so, yeah, we went from there and then, then, then moved on up here after that. So just give us a, a, an overall feel for how big it is now. I mean, how many horses would be on the property? Um, we'll talk about the stallions again soon. And how many foals would be, would be born here each year? Yeah, that's a good question, but yeah, sort of, sort of. Probably lost count. Yeah, well, it's a, as, we, as we say, and I really do emphasise that it is a family-owned and, and, and family-run business, and, and, uh, but numbers-wise, yeah, this year, seven stallions, and that's, we're always five to seven, one way or another, or five to eight sort of thing. Um, breed about 200 of our own mares. We'll foal about 300 on the place this year, and I would say, you know, seven stallions this year will breed Somewhere between seven and eight hundred mares. Um, our record was up over eight hundred mares in, in one season a wee while ago. Team of about thirty-five, great team of about thirty-five permanents, and that swells um, during the season. And yeah, operating the, the, the horse side of things on, on fifteen hundred acres at this stage. Having spent a little bit of time here and, and chatting to a few people, you, you've got a slick run operation here, and you've got people that are really engaged in it as well. Yeah, I, look, I hope so, and, and yeah, I certainly um, feel that way. Uh, once again, fam family owned and run, and also hands on, you know. But the family feel flows to your people. Absolutely, absolutely. Like I would um, not expect anybody to do anything on this farm that, that, that I wouldn't do. And, uh, <clears throat> you know, at this time of the year, it's um, sleeves up and we're, we're all into it together and, you know, we have a little bit of, bit of a, uh, let's say, a bit of a theory or a motto, you know, we work hard and we play hard when we get the opportunity. This is the busiest time. I mean, this is, the foals are being born now, obviously, and, uh, and it's an around-the-clock operation, isn't it? Absolutely. It's full on and, and a great team. Like, there's another team that, that starts at 8 o'clock at night that looks after through that night and the foaling of the mares and, and um, things like that. So, yes, you're right, you're right around the clock and... Just that's that it's that starting point for giving every horse that we um, have anything to do with that every opportunity. I want to talk about some of the special horses that are that are part of the history of Waikato Stud, if you like, and and go. We'll talk about O'Reilly soon, but but Centaine. Yeah, so Centaine um, came up with us from Palmerston North at I think about 14 years old, and he he was a very very special horse um, for me in particular because. He taught me a lot in that, uh, around that breeding operation um, at, a, at an early stage of um, life and uh, certainly for a period there of probably five years. I was the only one that ever took him to the breeding shed and that was because we were, we, we were full on and hands on and um, that's how it worked out. But yeah, very special horse to me and um, a wonderful horse, you know, wonderful sire, wonderful broodmare sire and... You know, just the, the history still carries on with him now. And then O'Reilly, who you've already mentioned, um, incredibly gifted horse. Certainly was. Um, so fast. Yeah, certainly was. Obviously, uh, you know, the, the, the story's been out there. Most people know that we were trying to get him to the yearling sales and, and unfortunately that, well, unfortunately, fortunately, that didn't work out. Um, actually sent him to Gerald Ryan as a two-year-old. He thought very, very highly of him, um, injured pulled all the ligaments in his back end, one morning at track work, came back over, raced him here as a three-year-old, unbeaten here in New Zealand, became New Zealand Horse of the Year in four starts. Um, and you know, like even after his racing career and he was trained here by the O'Sullivans and especially um, Dave O'Sullivan, and I'd bring him out every year to see him and I'd take the rug off him in the paddock and he'd just stand back and he'd just say, 
you know, I don't know whether we ever saw the best of this horse. Uh, other, other special horses along though, and I know there'll be a lot of them, but the, the ones that have really meant a lot to you. I suppose, let's say racing-wise, you know, your, your, your Starcrafts, you know, he, he was not by one of our stallions. Speaking but we gifted. Yeah, bred, bred him and, of course, won Group 1s in four different countries, and um, I think, I'm pretty sure we're still, uh, you know, the only breeders that have bred a dual Group 1 winner in, in, in Europe. Um, slight chance, you know, really interesting filly, one of the early crops of Centaine, little thing turned out a bit, I think we got 22,000 for her or something. You know, she's still, still um, the only filly to have won six group ones by the end of her three-year-old three career ever. And ran in one of the greatest Ladbrokes Cox plates, like such a strong field that year. Too. Yeah, 100%. Um, you know, so going from there, and even, even the likes of I Do that we race, she's our most winningest uh, horses and won a group one. And, and it was, a lot, you know, let's say through a pretty tough period of, of our lives, and, and, and she, she gave us a lot of hope there. And, and now you go into the recent days, and uh, it's pretty obvious, you know, that we've got, there's a pretty special one at the moment. Yeah. So you mentioned you mentioned though that tough period of your life. That was when you lost your your wife, Lisa. Mm. Yeah, it certainly was. Three young kids, and um, yeah, yeah. And Lisa was obviously very young, and the old leukemia came along sort of pretty quickly. And obviously, you, you know, you. You're thinking life's going pretty pretty well there. You've got a beautiful farm, got three beautiful kids, and everything's going well. This is me, and then buddy, bang, you know. And and uh, it certainly was. But look, you know, worldwide we had incredible um, support around us. And uh, you know, you just take little examples um, like old uh, Anthony Thompson coming over, helping us at Caraca, not only helping us at Caraca, putting on a Waikato uniform. In front of front of house while Lisa's crock and hospital, you know, it was big stuff. Yeah, and um, and there's there's always the memories of Lisa. She's such a part of the place here. But but life's life's evolved, and and you've got the four children now. So um, it's a very content place here now. Yeah, absolutely. You know, Pip um, came along, and they, and and the kids were were, were still looking uh, for a mother figure, and she just stepped in incredibly. And then we were very, very lucky to. Uh, you know, for, for Charlie to come along, let's say, later on in life, and that's just bonded us all, all together. And, and now those older kids, you know, they're showing a bit of in, uh, interest in the, in, in the game, two of them over there in Australia in, in the industry. And, uh, yeah, like it's, yeah, it was sort of like back on track, and, and Pip certainly, let's say, helped us all do that. And uh, she, she quickly developed the passion and the, and the drive of Waikato Stud, and... And, and has enjoyed the success and is a big part of the, the continued success. So let's get on to some of the uh, some of the stallions here, and we'll 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 start with the rock star Sava Bill, who uh, uh, obviously eight-time New Zealand champion sire, and probably would have won more if most of his progeny weren't pinched to go race in Australia as well. So uh, incredible success story. Yeah, he he obviously he certainly is. Um, you know, I think just after last weekend, 134 stakes winners and 32 Group 1 winners. I mean, that that's an incredible stallion, and we've talked about his versatility, fillies, colts, women, short distance, long distance, any age, whatever. Now as a broodmare sire, looking pretty phenomenal. Um, yeah, just an, just an incredible horse. That way that he won that Cox Plate back, uh, you know, and, and, and massive turn of foot, um, you know, ran down all too hard in Pero that he that he that he gave five kilos, 
Um, you know, and when we bought him, he was a $10 million purchase. Um, big money at any stage. How did it come about? How did the sale come about? Uh, yeah, well, it was interesting. One afternoon, Bruce Perry actually rang me and said, hey, um, I gather they're doing something on... on uh, uh, with Savabil and I said, uh, well, Craigie, we'd love Savabil, but it'd be too big of money, you know. And he said, well, it's 10 million, but he said, look, you know, we've got pretty good support around all of us, and this one will take a share, and that one will take a share. And, and uh, yeah, so um, I got on to Gary, and he gave Roger a ring, and he said, well, you, you ring Roger. And I said, no, he's more your sort of era than mine, <laughs> sort of thing. So, so uh, yeah, he gave Roger a ring and said, you know, we would have liked an opportunity. And, you know, Roger's the, just the biggest, obviously the biggest believer, advocate, always has been of, of Savabil. And greatest salesman racing's ever seen. Yeah, 100%. And uh, he said, well, I'd love them to come to New Zealand, but uh, it's a lot of money. And Gary had you know, the same opinion. I reckon we could sort of do it. And Roger said, well, you know, my guys that are in the horse, they'd, they'd retain a bit. And uh, so we went from there and he rings me back. He said, I've got people for dinner. It happened to be uh, Megan and Nelson Schick from Windsor Park. Um, you've just bought this horse, you better get on and get him placed, you know. And, and we basically had him sort of syndica syndicated. We kept half the horse ourselves, obviously. We had him syndicated in 24 hours, you know. And once again, going back to that support, you know, when you're ringing somebody up and saying, listen, 200,000 a share, and, and um, as I say, it was done in 24 hours. And those those people, you know, there's, there's a few of them come, come and gone out of the syndicate over the years, but everybody's done very well. Yeah, New Zealand's got a rich history of, of legacy stallions, if you like, and he, he's in that category now, isn't he? Oh, there's no doubt about it, you know, when, and at the end of the day, you know, when you're talking grandfather, father, and, and, and now himself, and those, let's say, top three, you're dead right, it is just a legacy. Few of the others, um, Ocean Park, you, you seem to have a, a, a love for the Ladbrokes Cox Plate winners. Yeah, certainly, we certainly do. Um, like it, one loved the race, and two, you, you're right. Those those uh, stallions that have won it that stand here and have and have done a really good job for us. Um, it's a very tough race, and um, one of the hardest races to win. And you get around that turn, you've got to show a turn of foot. And um, you know, uh, you know, once again, he won it very, you know, dominating it. Um, tough, tough racehorse, leaves tough types, and um, they're sound and. They've just, he's just done a great job for us. And wandering around here, obviously it's foaling season, so there's a lot of new foals, and you know, this one's by Superset, this is a Ardross, and this is a Novair, whatever. So there's a lot of new excitement through through the newer stallions coming through. Yeah, it certainly is. You know, you go back to that period where, let's say, the three three of the top stallions in New Zealand were, were, were Pins, O'Reilly, and, um, and Savabil. You know, you, you sort of... <laughs> Woke up each every morning and thought, what am I going to put these mares to? One of these, one of these sort of let's say great stallions, and and um, now champion size-wise, Savabil and Ocean Park, which we're very fortunate to have. But coming through, you know, like over there, over there in that stallion area now, and including the likes of Sacred Falls, who un unfortunately, um, you know, is deceased at an, an earlier age. It's something like seventy-five million dollars worth of stallion purchases at the time. There, so there's a fair bit of work that's gone into it, and as I say, we can't do it with the support of breeders in New Zealand without them. And um, and uh, but yeah, really exciting young horses coming through, and they're the key to our game. Well, and it, it's it probably 
keeps your enthusiasm, doesn't it? Because you're waiting, waiting, waiting to see the first progeny and even Peter Moody's here now, you're like, what do you think of those super yeah. sets, you know? Yeah, that's exactly right. And you know, this game, that's the, that's, the, that's the exciting thing about this game. There's always something to look forward to. There's a Saturday or a group one race or a new foal or, and, and you're right, you know, like right now we're, we're here, we've got half a dozen Novia foals on the ground already. I can, we can make a pretty big call group on them. one winning son of Saverville. yeah. And uh, great looking horse, $800,000 yearling himself. It looks like, you know, he's consistently leaving that already. And uh, yeah, Super Seth um, just turned two years old. Reports coming in from trainers, all good and that sort of thing. So you're right, it's, it's, <laughs> there's always something to look forward to. Well, now let's talk I Wish I Win. I've been waiting to get to this because from the most humble of beginnings, well, you, you're obviously, you must have been, well, devastated or certainly very sad when you got a foal born with a leg looking like it's about to snap in half. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, you know, when you're breeders, you get what you're given. But the year before, we were, we were given an outstanding... Yeah, Colt that uh, went through to Caracca and top Caracca and our highest price yearling ever sold and etc etc and yeah then yeah, the full brother the next year one of those moments where the yeah I don't know whether to laugh or, or or to cry but you know like he was he was well and truly alive and there was no problems let's say with him getting up and feeding off the mare and that sort of thing so as 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 I say he certainly had that will to live and that's what we were going to let him do so and I'd Love the quote I read somewhere where you said, this is a horse we used to hide behind the hedge so no one would see it when they came here. So uh, uh, so what so what happens then when you've got a horse born like that? What what steps do you go through? Yeah, and that, is, that absolutely is dead right. And it was, it, we, we had him down on, a, on another farm down the road there. And it's interesting now because obviously now that he, all of this is going on, you know, we've been asked for a lot of photos for when he was young, but he wasn't one we took a lot of photos <laughs> of. But... Um, no, we just let him sort of potter away and, and you know, I've said in a lot of things, we're not great believers in surgery and pushing things and this, that and the other thing and he was what he was, you know, he is what he is and he was what he was and uh, <clears throat> we did put a bit of extension, a couple of extensions on his feet or foot at one stage there and one foot but it started, you know, putting a bit of pressure on, the, on his young hoof. Um, so we took that off and yeah, I just, look, we just, honestly, we just left him alone and let him grow. And uh, went through the he went through the weaning process. He was a foal that was very heavy topped and very heavy through the shoulder on that, and that certainly wasn't helping these legs at all. So um, yeah, it's probably the next significant point. We just ran him totally normally as all of the others, and uh, no pressure on him whatsoever. But one thing we did do is we gelded him at about oh, he was probably 17 or I know probably uh, 14 or 16 months old, a little bit earlier than normal. And once again, I'm a little bit of a believer in that with horses like that, uh, let them grow up rather than out without the effects of testosterone within the system. And then, yeah, just potted away to the breaker and just took each step as it, as, as it came and Jamie and Chanel beats and broke him in and Jamie was like, he, he uh, doesn't know he's got legs like that, he actually moves fine. And Jamie's a hell of a horseman. And uh, yeah, so then he went out and into him a few times because it was like, well, what do we do? Are we going to go to a track or what? Anyway, he took him to uh, jump outs one morning at um, Cambridge there and he lined him up with a couple of horses that he was looking to trade. And he rang me and he said, I videoed them, but I won't be showing anybody else that video because I won't be selling those two on 
how he jumped out, he just left him for dead. And, and he said, you're going to have to find a trainer for him. So, you know, Tiako had, uh, had been great supporters with the Colt the year before. So, um, so along he went to Tiako and, yeah, won a trial very impressively. At that stage, a couple of Asian sort of buyers, agents rang up and I said, you can have a look if you want, but I don't think you'll be buying them. Him. Only one rang back and said, crikey, I see what you mean. Had us made a first start down at Manawatu, one by four, and yeah, on we went from there. Yeah, and then uh, and then there were obviously high hopes at the time, but perhaps didn't reach the absolute potential you might have thought from from that great start. Yes, well, interestingly enough, as a three-year-old, when we when you look back and we went down to the two thousand guineas, and and um, it was a, it was a let's say it was an honest run, but it certainly wasn't um, top shelf sort of run. And looking back now with, let's say, where we're going and, and, and why we're talking now, going into the best print race in the world, you know, maybe that 1600 back then even, let's say, wasn't his style. I mean, sort of who knows. But, yeah, certainly we were, we were sort of, we were racing in those races, but we obviously weren't winning them. And then you get to the end of the three-year-old career and I guess in reality you've got to decide if you haven't got a star here, um, you felt there was more opportunities in Australia. Yeah, yes, that's exactly right, and we and we and we did sort of think that that sort of second, third tier stuff over there still worth a lot of money. Um, he was a gelding. It's not he's not a typical sort of horse in our racing team. They're, they're mostly females that we're keeping to breed out of. Um, but anyway, you know, and and Peter and I spoke, and he and I sort of jacked up a bit of a situation that suited both of us, and 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 over he went with no expectations that we would. 18 months later, we'd be looking at an Everest. That's pretty cool, isn't it? So when did you first get a call or a vibe? Because Moods plays his cards relatively close to his chest, but when did you start to get excited? Yeah, pro well, obviously those first couple of runs in Melbourne, it was like, goodness me, we mightn't be out in the country, we might be in the city. Um, <clears throat> the two-rack was an interesting run, and, you know, Drew Wide probably, let's say, wasn't at his best, but Moods has spoken about the... A bit more of a gap, you know, when you're learning with a young horse like that, and then um, um, up to the, you know, Golden Eagle, and we discussed Cox Plate or Golden Eagle, and um, I was very happy to go Golden Eagle as a four-year-old. There was plenty of time to take on the big, you know, the big tough stuff um, later on in his life if that was the case, and it was just that way that he quickened on the on the turn. That was when it was obviously unbelievably exciting on that day. But then going on to the next preparation and when Peter and I had a bit of a yarn and he said, you know, you might, you might think I'm mad, but I'm quite keen to try out these um, sprint races, the shorter distances. And I Because he oh, liked the straight, didn't he? That, yeah. was his, that was his whole thing. Yeah, and it was that turn of foot, you know, that quickening. And I said, I don't think you're mad at all. And what have we got to lose with the gelding? It doesn't actually sort of matter. Like if we've got it wrong, no worries, start again, you know. And yeah, we went from, from there. And, the morning of the lightning, he said, today will just be like a trial for him. It'll be all over too quickly. Well, he, he gets beaten by an inch, you know. And then, uh, obviously, the new market was a good run. I think a couple of things didn't sort of um, suit him that well. And then uh, into the TJ Smith, everything fell into place. Apart from that weather, we were a bit worried about that track. But it's just shown he's so versatile. And, and as we say, that massive turn of foot. So just going back to, I mean, it all happened so quickly, didn't it? You, you weren't sure what sort of horse you were even going to have in Australia. And then 
really in the space of about six weeks, you then got the trainer saying, well, maybe we'll look at a Labrax Cox plate. Yeah, 100%. And when you think about it, as we sit here and film this today, tomorrow was his first run in Australia, so it's 12 months. 12 months this has all happened. So, so yeah, so you're right. So, hey, have we got an incredibly versatile horse or have we got a sprinter? We, we don't even know that yet, which is great. Yeah, and uh, I know Moods has talked about this a lot and, and you've been through it, but on what you've saw last campaign, the sensible option is to try the sprinting this campaign and then who knows where you'll end up in another 12 months. Absolutely, like, you know, like, uh, when I say win, lose or draw the Everest, obviously it would be, it would be lovely to be the, the, the first option, but um, yeah, post that, whether we sort of stay at that and have another crack or whether we try something differently, like, um, yeah, we're pretty open-minded. What did the Golden Eagle win mean? Well, it was unbelievable. Like, we, we were, it's a very, very busy time of the year, and obviously what we do, hard to get off the farm. And it's one of those sort of situations in a big race like that during the middle of our, our season, big time, is, um, you know, like if you, if I go, if I go over to Australia and um, win it, I'm sort of celebrating over there with a small team when the rest of the team's here working their butts off. And if you go over there and lose it, you'd rather be back here working. If you're at home and don't win, you go back out to work. <laughs> if you're home and you do win, you party with those that are, that are, that are working really hard and, and, and a massive part of Waikato Stud, and that's what we certainly did. And, the, and so where did you watch it? Yeah, our little uh, the White Horse Inn, which is just a small sort of, um, call it tacked up uh, um, it's kitchen. bar, cafeteria, whatever you'd say. <laughs> exactly, coffee in the morning, beers in the afternoon, whatever you feel like. And yeah, we just, we got our work and our bits and pieces done and we all sort of gathered. We had a few sausages on the barbecue and that sort of thing. And we had a couple of Aussie mates over here and um, yeah, they, they were the ones videoing. And, and, and when, he, when he just turned on that, the afterburners at the bloody, at the top of the straight there, the place went nuts. And then, uh, and then you did eventually get moods back with the trophy to celebrate later. Yeah, exactly, and, and uh, obviously we went there to bring the trophy home, and and um, so yeah, we jacked it up that uh, Peter and Sarah came over with the trophy, and we got a few of the locals and a few mates and that sort of thing around. Once again, still in the season, but I knew if I didn't um, if I didn't get onto that at, at some stage, we'd miss the opportunity. And uh, yeah, we had that we had them all, let's say, behind closed doors, enjoying a nice drink and that sort of thing, and they. All started think, wondering what we were there for, and then we opened the doors, and here's Peter with the trophy. So, um, yeah, we had the, had the chance to celebrate again. The Everest is such an interesting race for a Kiwi to be such a big part of, because, I mean, the, the history of New Zealand is about producing stayers or middle-distance horses, isn't it? So the Everest probably has never really been on your radar. Absolutely, 100%. And it's been a great learning curve, because I don't think I'd ever have to learn learn about the Everest because I didn't think I'd be having a runner in it but uh, and it's been a great experience and just that hype you know usually you're, you're heading towards a group one race and you're excited about it and I let, let's say really start thinking about it and getting, getting a bit wound up from probably the Monday Tuesday leading into it but you know this build up and the enormity of this race and the, the whole event um, it's look it's just incredible to be involved in and and especially with him. And I love how um, with this partnership with the New Zealand Tab and, and Entain for the slot in the Everest, um, 
the nation feels part of this horse now. Absolutely. So that we were in negotiations with various um, slot holders, but when this uh, when this opportunity came along for it to have a New Zealand feel, obviously it was worth sitting to see what this was going to be all about, and it worked out great. It's it, let's say it's a great partnership. It was. Um, it was a it was a let's say critical bloody uh, move under the circumstances with Entane coming into New Zealand and and um, and having that New Zealand feel and but and certainly the the vibe that's building up within New Zealand as as I've said before I go into the gym in the morning there and these guys every morning are like how's our horse it's not your horse it's our horse now you know and we've we've, we've got a little function on tonight and it's all about the local community and. And, and and him, and it's just fantastic. And you drive past some of the local tabs and a whole window is I wish I went. Yeah, that's right. There's a, there's a bit of a photo comp going on at the moment of which tab and where. So no, it's, it's really exciting. But going back to your first point there, Adam, you know, with the, with the, with the sprinting thing, you, you, you're dead right. We don't have a reputation for that. And like at the moment, you've got Lucky Swainess in, in, in Hong Kong and I wish I went in Australia, two of the best sprinters in the world. Yeah, it's, uh, and in and in many ways that would just add so much more to her if you were able to win an Everest. Oh, look, I think winning an Everest would mean everything to you know to our to our family to Savabeel at this at this latter stage of his career, and <clears throat> yeah, just, oh, I just can't explain the enormity of the feeling of being involved in the, in in the Everest, one of the biggest races in the world, and um, yeah, counting down, it's getting pretty exciting. I reckon the Golden Eagle celebrations will be the Everest to be epic. Yeah, well, I think this time here, um, I have been given permission to be away from the farm for a few hours or a few days. But um, certainly, I think we can probably, you know, once I get back, if there if there's reason to party, I'm sure we can ignite it up again.